And I learned this from the heavyweight cats I used to hang around with in Texas, where you'd ask them, so what do you do when you're playing this complicated music and something goes wrong? And they say, well, we just find someone that's doing something and latch on with that. Welcome to episode two of the Chattering New Podcast. Today I've got Ben Holt, who is a blues jazz soul guitarist, musician, and uh, he studied at NCC with me, so we're good old friends, and uh, then he went to St. FX, the University of North Texas, you studied as well, and then uh, you moved on to teaching at a college, uh, the Tarrant College, the Tarrant, Tarrant County College, County College, Arlington, Texas. And you've done all kinds of cool shit in Texas. I know you were moving and shaking, and now you're in Taiwan, and you've played, like, the Taipei Jazz Fest and the Taipei International Blues Bash, the the Asian Pacific Traditional Arts Festival, and you play in the, is it the Taipei Orchestra? Yeah, Taipei Professional Orchestra. It's a big band. Nice. And uh, you got all kinds of shit. You're a moving and shaking professional musician. That's that's my yep. general summary. Is, is, did I did I miss anything? Uh, no, I think it's everything. Got that's it. it. <laughs> Summar- summarized. Yeah. Uh, let me think. The most interesting thing I think to start with is just your your professional life. So, what what are you working on? What do you what are you uh what are you currently doing right now um so it's interesting because i moved to taiwan like during the pandemic and i so my experience of taiwan is uh it's kind of like shaped by that for sure so when i moved here i was kind of under the the assumption that taiwan was more open than anywhere else you know coming from living in the u.s we'll move to to taiwan where things are really open and there's still some work to go around um but I, that was two over two years ago, two and a half years ago, and it was really challenging to find work. And I didn't really realize till after the pandemic sort of ended that it actually was really quite closed off. At least there was much less work to go around. So, uh, but since the end of last fall, things have really been building up again, and it's been really nice. So, what have I been up to these days? Right now, I've just been playing a lot, gigging around Taiwan with my own bands, my own projects. And also playing with some other groups and other artists like uh, like the Taipei Professional Orchestra and some pop artists. And uh, and I'm also working for this little school that just started sort of um, in the fall. And we're, I'm doing a little bit of teaching over there. Mostly I'm like booking concerts and performing concerts out of the school. So that's been a great thing. So the month of April, I booked 14 shows in this little school. So that's a lot of musicians are going to come and, you know, do their thing at the school. So that's something that I, uh, yeah, I enjoy doing that's not directly related to playing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm probably gonna cue up some some uh, a clip of your music uh, at some point during this, and maybe as background, we'll uh, we'll cue it, and people can listen to it while we talk. Maybe. Uh, so you're still you're gigging regularly, and you're teaching. A little bit of teaching. A little bit of teaching. Um, are you surviving, thriving, or are you are you working on it? Well, it's, I mean, I think that everyone's always working on it, but. Uh... Like I was definitely just surviving during the first like two years of living here, just barely getting by, you know, moving to a foreign country so far away in the middle of the pandemic. But now it's like now things are starting to really, really go go well. And you, I wouldn't say I'm really thriving yet as far as economic economically where I want to be, but it's just like 
leaps and bounds above where I was. Yeah, well, like, so maybe people don't know, but I used to, well, I went to school with Ben uh, for music in 2008 or something, and um, then I was touring in bands, uh, indie bands, so it's kind of a different route. I was, like, wanting, doing the rock, wannabe rock star route, and um, that's a kind of a different grind altogether, whereas you're doing, you're doing, like, jazz. Is that correct when I gave you the, like, would you say blues, jazz, soul? Is that kind of a summary of what you're working on or yeah i mean i guess kind of it's it's like uh i study jazz so that's my training my background right um the products that i'm interested in recently for my own stuff it's like what what it's called soul jazz so that's like a very narrow subgenre of jazz that's like blues very blues influenced right so if i'm and when i move to taiwan basically what i always do is i always try and create projects like um create bands create concerts and try and go out and, and perform with that and over the last two years or more, since since I was in Texas, it's been kind of the soul jazz has been really where I'm focusing my energy on. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of weird because it's not really like soul music. It's just the, it's just the name of the genre. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So what does, a, what does a week look like for you, like a normal average week? Oh, man. So it's always different. That's the thing, right? For musicians, it's always different. And I think when we try and work with people that aren't, in this reality, they have a hard time understanding, like, that's always different. And I think, like, some people get frustrated because it's like, and this was the case when I lived in Texas, too, and I was playing all the time, like, five, six, seven nights a week or, or you know, more shows than that. And it's like, you got to always, you're always sort of, like, managing your schedule. I got to move this. I got to, I got to, like, sub this out. I got to change this. And it's, like, constantly evolving. And people that aren't in that world, they kind of get frustrated, especially, like, if you're doing some teaching and there's parents and things like that. It's like, well not going to make it this week because I got to put performing first and, um, and that's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, I mean recently though, like what's it look like? I'll give you a lowdown of my week last week. Cause it was a little bit crazier. Okay. Sweet. Um, this was the yeah, middle of March. What did I do? It would be something like this. I'll go from, uh, yeah, but Sunday, a buddy of mine, I, I did a I taught one lesson in the morning and then a buddy of mine started a new jam session at this club at the blue note club in Taipei. Like it's afternoon jam and he wanted to create like a really structured organized jam session and get some good players out so i went i went to that and um just hang out and jam and you know hang out with people in the scene and then it was uh and i'll just that was my my sunday and then monday i had a rehearsal for for my friday gig so i met up with the guitar player at, at my house and we went over his music he's playing like really complicated modern jazz and odd meters and just really wild stuff and uh and um and so we, we sort of prepared that get that together how many hours would you would you have done that maybe like three hours yeah and then and then from there i'm looking forward uh to the to the future and i gotta think of my weekend so today's monday so I, and i look ahead i have like six concerts on on the following weekend so if it's monday i gotta I'm, that week i'm thinking all the week of how am i gonna prepare and be ready for this and like all these what concerts. am i gonna prioritize like yeah, because I only have so much practice time, you know. And you can only—it's not even about time; it's about like mental energy. You only have so many hours that you can practice, so before mm-hmm. you burn burn out. So I'm thinking about that. So Monday we can do the rehearsal. Tuesday I got the day off, so spending that day practicing, preparing um, for for the following weekend, and then Wednesday another rehearsal for a, for a totally different band. We rehearsed for just just two hours, and so I'm, I would be practicing in the morning. And then I would go to the rehearsal and I would come home and keep practicing, trying to prepare myself yeah. for the weekend. And then 
Thursday, same thing, practice in the morning. And then I have a rehearsal for my band that's playing, my own band, my solo jazz band that's playing Saturday. So we'll rehearse for uh, about two, two, three hours. And then I'll, once again, I'll go home and keep practicing. And then Friday is when things start to get real for musicians. So, of course. Um, yeah, so what I did Friday is I taught a few lessons in the afternoon. And then I went to the gig for the... Um, the, the, the really complicated guitarist we rehearsed on Monday. I'm going to go to the gig with him. And, uh, and what's, what's kind of like interesting is you got to make sacrifices of what you're going to prepare for. So when it comes time to play this gig, the reality was that I wasn't prepared for the gig. It was way too difficult of music. I, I wasn't, I didn't have time, you know, and I, I chose to prioritize my Saturday gigs because they paid a lot more, even though the music was a lot easier. Right. So I was playing like pop music, but I spent 15 hours practicing these three chord pop songs in like basically zero time preparing for the complicated jazz game because it paid way less. That's the, the reason. That's fair. And, uh, I mean, you need to, you need to pay the bills. Yeah, that's right. And also you got to set yourself up for, for the future. So did um, you say 15 hours for the pop gigs? Yeah. Yeah. I think that a lot of people don't realize how much rehearsing and how much work being a musician is. Practicing yeah, yeah, yeah. Rehearsing wasn't so much for that pop game. We only did a we did a one four hour rehearsal the yeah. previous week, and then we would do a sound check. Um, you know, but they gave you like a playlist of songs that are like yeah popular yeah. songs. It's that... only like ten to nine ten songs, but or eight eight nine songs, but like you gotta have it on point. So it's like fifteen hours. Just 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 only by myself practicing, not including any rehearsals or whatever. Now are these pop songs that we would know, or is this like? No. Taiwan pop songs, like an artist composed them. Like uh, uh, we, we did, okay. we, oh, original we did pop. Song, okay, one cover, and we okay. did one neat one song, but the rest are like songs that she had written. Uh, okay, and they're all like pretty standard, like uh, ABA sort of stuff. Like it sounds like uh, it sounds like neo soul. It's like uh, it's like like hip hop loops. Like so, it's almost like four chord loop. Okay, you know, that's a lot of like that. Um, right. But but yeah, it's like so. I put a lot of effort into that, regards, even though it's simple. I got to just have it right. Yeah, absolutely, because it pays the bills. So that was Saturday. Well, we go to go just to continue on with that gig on Friday. So it's I know that I'm not prepared for the gig. Mm-hmm. I know the music's hard, but it's a thing, right? Like one of the lessons I learned as a musician, it don't matter. <laughs> you just got to show up and play anyways. Yeah. So <clears throat> in terms of the gig, goes fine. It goes just fine. Like everything is all good. You know, I would have liked to have spent 15 hours on his music, but it's not how it played out. Yeah. Um, but knowing that you got to go to work and you got to play your best or try your best, no matter how well you prepare, how you feel about it, that's a big lesson that I learned over the years doing that. So with so, the Friday gig, unprepared technically, and yeah. um, so so winging it, and it's complicated. So, yeah. and you're playing a lead guitar like element, right? Well, it's, or, it's the two guitar duet. So it's very, it's very, in a very like intimate room. So it's very like, uh, okay. Yeah. So what are you doing then? Cause you didn't have time to really prepare your, are you going off chord charts and improvising? Yeah. Well, it's jazz. So there's a lot of improvising no matter what. And yeah, he has, there's charts and we'll play like one of my tunes. Some of okay. Tunes. Right. So basically like how to survive that gig is I have to rely on my ability to sight read, my ability mm-hmm. to improvise. So these are skills that I've trained for many, many years um, since we were at NSCC. So yeah. it's like, without that, I, I would be, it would have been fucked. And how many years has that been? 2008 to 2023. 2007 we started. Yeah, that's right. 16 years. Yeah, so 16 years of, of working on music for every day. You've been... Yeah. Because you, you're one of the most dedicated 
guys I like not the the only but one of the top dedicated guys that I've w- been watching since since we left because you went right into to Saint FX and then continued to continue your education and then continued to and then like grinded in Texas and and now you're grinding in Taipei and yeah um yeah it's just it's so crazy how much work music is I don't think people understand and like how not well it pays. Yeah, you got to invest always up front. Like the, you always pay the investment in, in advance and hope that it will pay out something later. Like the you mean the education and the grind? No, no, just like even on small in a smaller term scale, it's like for instance, like I play with this big band, you know, Taipei Professional Orchestra. Yeah. And it's a really great big band with some of the best musicians in the country. And we just did a gig where we all made something like um something like 300 bucks each for a 15 piece big band. That's yeah. a good, good payout, right? Yeah. Um, we started rehearsing during the pandemic. We we're rehearsing every single week for three hours. Um, you know, we're playing concerts where we're making 15 bucks. So we pay, we already pay the, the investment, like with years Absolutely. of hours. Before we ever made that $300 paycheck. It's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's the only way like do it. If you really love it or it's a huge, it's not worth it at all. A hundred percent. And even then it's, it's difficult. I, I gave up because I noticed it was costing me more energy than it was giving me. I feel like your, yours, your route is more, um, took more technical skills the way you're going about it. And I was kind of just doing what I do and hoping that people would like it. And you're kind of like, you're, you're actually like employable as a musician Right, you which takes a lot of work. Um, you were being an artist. Yeah, I was being an artist, and I was like, "Take, take me as I am, and please love me." And uh, and and I worked hard and slept on floors and grinded and drove and drove and sunk money and sunk money and 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 then eventually it was like, "Wait a minute, this is exhausting," and it seems to be giving me like minimal. As, as far as like I say, I like to say an energy, like because let's not focus on the money part, but like the energy was not, it wasn't reciprocal. It was, it was like, and maybe someday for like this hope and a prayer that someday I might be a rock star and it all, the, all the, the the grinding comes back. But it became pretty apparent that that wasn't the people, the bands that I was looking up to, um, were still grinding. Like the bands that I thought were Canadian successes turns out they were still just grinding and they still are to this day and all the money they make pours back into the band to build the brand to then tour the states to pour money in to build the brand to pay for the sound guys to pay for the bigger producers to and i was like oh my god it's never gonna end and it's not worth it to be away from your family and friends that long to sleep on that many floors to then to then keep doing it essentially and i was like oh i'm out it was sad and depressing, but but but, but I had to, I had to call it. I had to had to cut the cut the cord. Yeah, and I still to this day have a hard time. Like just, I'm I'm trying to like rekindle the having fun with music because mm. I got so burnt out. I I just I'm like I don't know can't can't do it but i've I've got stuff i'd like to release and stuff that i had written that i'd like to record but it was it was like a self-preservation that's why i cut the cord so it's like i had to but um uh i didn't want to make that all about me but um (laughs) 
Oh, that's good. You're, but you're you're making enough money to like sustain yourself. You're not sinking in, yeah. into debt like I was. No. Okay, awesome. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never like I've gone in debt for school like big time, but not but not as a professional musician. I've never like gone in debt. Because you in Texas, even you were working with some churches and stuff, and you were playing with local local bands and stuff. So you were getting paychecks. Yeah, I had tons of work in Texas. It was amazing. It was yeah. like it seemed like it was like just so much work there. Like it was great. And yeah, but when I left, I was sometimes I was getting paid like six hundred bucks a show to fly. You know, fly to different states, fly around and, and play. You know, with the oh really? Yeah. And were you stuck in a were you were you placating to a specific genre there or was it the same genre you're kind of well, that doing was now? cool too in Texas. There's just such the diversity of music that was happening. So I was playing a lot of gospel music, a lot of church music, you know, mm-hmm. CCM and gospel. And I played I played a lot of top forty, you know, and I played a lot of jazz, played a lot of country music. You know, it was it was great. Just the diversity. I played some inter- like some, you know, world music stuff, like that was a really cool aspect of that. It was hard to let that go, to be honest, to move, to move away from there. Do you, do you see yourself ever moving back? I don't think so, man. It's hard to say. Time changes. Times change. You know, I think the last two years during the pandemic, I was hoping to go back all the time. Yeah. But now, sort of pop off here, I'm, I'm liking what's so, up. What and you're fluent off. now in, in, um, in, in uh, what's the language specifically? Chinese Mandarin. Mandarin, yeah. Because there's two, there's two types of... Uh, There's a lot of different Chinese. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Mandarin, but you, ones you wouldn't say you're fluent, but you get you're, you get by pretty good. Yeah, I can get by day to day stuff for sure. Yeah, I'm not fluent. It's just so difficult. Chinese is so hard. Right. And I I studied like two to four hours a day for two years before I moved here. Yeah. And and, and I did school in, in Chinese for for three months when I arrived, and then I basically just quit for, <laughs> for two years. Are there um, a lot of people that speak English? Uh, yeah, I mean, mo- most people can speak some English. And I'm in Taipei. It's like a big international city. So there's definitely people that can speak English. Right. I, I just think I'm, I'm back into the Chinese thing now. And I study, study again now. But uh, it's just kind of a respect thing. I want to be able to speak some Chinese just to show some respect. Because there's foreigners here that have been here for like 10 years that don't say a word of Chinese. I think that's fucking lame. It is. I couldn't. I remember I went to Cuba once and uh, I couldn't speak really any Spanish. And I. I felt horrible, and so yeah. I just didn't speak. I became like a mute because I just like I felt bad for some reason. It was like really weighing. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever been in a place. I think that I didn't speak the language, and I was so aware of it that yeah. that I didn't say much of anything to anybody. And so then when I got home, I started learning Spanish, and then we've gone a couple more times to Cuba, and um, I have enough that. I can do like really baby talk and get my way through a situation really poorly, but, but at least now I have enough tools to try to talk. So, um, it does feel way more respectful to at least have a few phrases. That's very rewarding, right? Zoom is telling me I have 10 minutes. We'll have to just start and stop the zoom call. Uh, Upgrade. Yeah, we can edit that part. Um, what were yeah, you the Chinese thing, like, you know, it's basically like the culture shock of moving to Taiwan for me was just like huge. Like, I didn't realize that it was going to be like so jarring to the system <laughs> to make that change. And, uh, and, and I was totally turned off by studying Chinese. I wasn't interested anymore. I basically wanted to watch hockey and think about Canada <laughs> for the first like two years. <laughs> 
my free time. <laughs> oh no, you were having homesickness. Yeah, totally, man. I never, I never thought it would be like that, but uh, it really was. But now that I'm, I'm like more adapted, I'm got back into the Chinese thing. And, and what I do now is I just learn, like, I learn from my friends, and I learn like just like slang and curse words and just things that are, are fun and inspiring. And I, and I make flashcards. And I make a shitload of flashcards like through my day to day life. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, it's kind of like a doc, like a document of like my experience too. So if I'm at the bar someone says something funny i'll be like oh dude and i'll write that down and then i'll take a picture of them and then get them to record the audio and nice. then i can study that later and so that language is weird because um people think you're being racist when you make when you start sounding like with the, the intonations and the tones that that they use like you can make mistakes it's easy to make mistakes or people just don't understand you but like, it you just sounds it's sound, right you don't have the right tones and they're just like what the fuck are you talking about you need to make those sounds and tones to, to so they understand you because i've seen people yeah. online get upset because someone says something in a say like a chinese language they change their whole tone and they sound chinese and people are like oh man you're like sound racist because it's like a mexican say if you were if you're saying something in spanish but you sounded more mexican when you said it people for some reason the people on the internet think this is racist but it's actually just the best way to talk to people of the native language is to actually emulate their tone that's... Right. Well, I don't know what specific example that you're talking to, but there's also I... like a lot of like, dialects and there's also a lot of accents. So it's like maybe people people in Taiwan speak very differently than people in Beijing, even right. though they say the same exact same words, but the, just the, the um, pronunciation is just so different. Like, um, like here's an example, if, if this makes any sense. So I just bought a, a like a, a coffee from yeah. 7-Eleven when we started and, um, and, and I bought an Americano. And they say that's a in Taiwan they say xiao le mei, and that means like little hot American, a little hot American coffee xiao le mei, and they say le, but in Beijing they would say like xiao re mei, like le and then re, so it's the same kind of word. But Taiwanese are lazier, southern hot oh, southern okay. accents xiao le mei. It's like the tongue falls out, whereas in Beijing it's xiao re mei, and the tongue curls back. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like people might think like if you speak with a Beijing accent, they would get annoyed with you in Taiwan. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they would make fun of you for sure, actually. Oh, right, right. It's like saying couch versus yeah, it's whatever like that, else yeah. people say. Couch. Coach. I say coach. Couch. I heard someone on TV that are saying roof. The roof is – they're talking about their oh, roof. And like we say roof, but I don't know what the rest of the world says. Nova Scotians say roof. Yeah, I say roof, yeah. I like My sister tour. says roof. Tour, that's a good one. Yeah, tour, tour and tour. Yeah. My sister says um, rotor for your internet, you know, rotor instead of router. Internet router, yeah. What in your sister's, is she in Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia? Yeah. Why does she say rotor? Rotor, I, I have no idea. That's that's like more Nova Scotian. Rotor. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, I'd say router as well. But so much American like leaked into everybody from television yeah that's right. i can't escape it um so oh yeah what was your son we, we went through your week but we missed sunday we were, we were on saturday so i can keep going from there yeah let's do so, it so it's like, i played the gig with um with jen lynn the two guitar thing and that was cool i got home maybe around uh 11 30 or something 12 and i got a message when i got home from the band leader from the, the pop artist he said yo dude we want to add two more tunes for tomorrow after i already practiced 15 hours they want to add two more songs. Uh, I was like, fuck. And he said, he said acoustic. 
I don't even know what that means. Like, I'm like, what? Like, and I'm assuming he means like just the band with no tracks or no, no triggers or anything like that. Or it's just um, you and the, in the vocalist. That's one interpretation, but I interpreted it as like the whole band played together but with no tracks. Like, cause they usually just pop uh, in those okay. tracks. Right. Um, and I'm like, okay, whatever, you know? And then I go to sleep and the sound check the next day is at eight o'clock. So I get home at midnight, I got to wake up at six to make the eight o'clock sound check. And then she messaged me, the artist, saying, oh, yeah, I want to do these tunes, just me and you, on the concert. So I was like, okay, shit. But also, no time to prepare anything, so I just, okay. Uh, Whatever you want. That would kill me, man. Yeah, yeah. That's stressful. Well, I get a... What's that? That's stressful. To yeah, me. a little bit, yeah. So I get there, you know, roll up there at 7.30 for the 8 o'clock sound check. And she walks over during the middle of a loud sound. Let's just play the song, Me and You, together really quickly right now. So you can't hear anything, but we've got to, like, kind of, like, try and get through whatever. And she's like, yeah, whatever, it's fine, you know. <clears throat> and uh, we do the sound check. Afterwards, we meet in the green room, and she's like, let's play the, one of the songs, but let's do it totally different from the recording. Like, give me your guitar, let's play these chords. Okay. Like, so it's always changing, like. And, and you got to like, keep okay. track of, what is it, 50? eight, 10 songs that you've been grinding on to memorize. And now they're changing things on you just as yeah. you're like solidifying everything for yourself. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah, that's, that's life, man. Yeah. So, yeah. So we finished there, you know, around 10 o'clock, you go home, you know, take a nap, whatever, go back there for six to the festival stage. And we played in front of like hundreds and hundreds of people. It was like a huge, huge, big stage. Yeah. Um, the gig went great. You know, the, everything was good. It's the, uh, this duo suite of the two duo songs. We dropped some of the other songs that I've been practicing. And uh, just good, good vibes all around. That was really fun. And uh, and then from there, I just had to immediately get in a cab as soon as we finished and yep. tear off to a club where my band played a club date right. from, uh, from 9 until 11.30. So that was cool. We played at this jazz club called Sappho, Sappho Live. Um, which used to be a lesbian bar and now it's a jazz club. <laughs> and we, we knocked out a soul jazz, a couple soul jazz sets there. And then I hosted the, the jam session afterwards. So I stayed until from 1130 till three in the morning, to host the jam session afterwards, get paid a little extra to stay and, and host after the gig. Nice. But those two, those two gigs will be fairly relaxed for you. Like your own band is, is home basically. And then yeah. a jam is a jam. So there's nothing much to, to, to worry about yeah no no pressure yeah let, way less pressure we're doing the music that, I, that i'm comfortable with that i've been playing a lot of blues yeah a lot of simple things. but it was a full house so there's that definitely adds an element to it you yeah you gotta, you gotta try of course i'm gonna do that right yeah you, you have to you have to stay engaged and 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 get keep people interested yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah yeah but it, it makes it i guess in one sense it makes it easier because they're there it's like way harder to phone it in when you got that's like, true that's true yeah it does suck when there's like only three people in the audience and you have to try and just pretend that it's amazing night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I do that all the time. Dude. That's <laughs> part of the game too, yeah. I can for sure. recall those. Yeah. This, this last, uh, last Saturday I did, I did that. I played at this, this record store and we, uh, and it was like, there was like a family of four people and then they left and then a couple of two people came in that was our audience, you know, for the, for the night. I can relate to those gigs for sure. Yeah. Those are real, man. And I don't mind that too. I like to play. So it's, it's okay. Just a different kind of challenge. Absolutely. Um, we had one of those in Peterborough years ago and it was, there was four people in the audience. We, you know, driven four hours to get to Peterborough to 
Like this small bar. And really the only reason we were going there was because the bar included a room and room to stay in upstairs. That's a good deal. Yeah, that was a great deal. And um, the two people, after we were done the set, they came up and they're like, oh, we saw you guys last time you were here, so we came out again. And it was like pretty adorable and endearing. Yeah. It's, but it's crazy. Yeah, it was just two people just, you know, and the other band, of course, you know. Yeah, it, was it just great. goes to show that that's the that's the grind, and that's so you have to keep doing that every year, and you know, hundred percent. Uh, my my Zoom's gonna get mad here in one minute, so let's um take a Hold sec back. to to reset. Okay, so that was we got you got we got up to Saturday, which was a pop gig, your gig, and then a jam, that's and right. now, and now we got Sunday, last day for this little little example so the next day was the grand opening for the school that i've been working at so i gotta play play that that's like another concert. blast up arts is that it yes so we went down there we played played a little concert with some of the faculty there and then in the evening at the same school we we played a concert so that that ended ended my weekend so that just those two days three days six shows three days absolutely And, and you said like something like 20 or 30 hours of practicing or was or it just the 15 for the pop gig and then just rehearsals after that like so it was like three hour rehearsals three times that week and then and then yeah, i can one, tell you two, exactly three. exactly now here i keep track of this stuff oh you you you, you keep the metrics you're a yeah nice the nerd that that's awesome maybe it won't be maybe as big so yeah so i guess uh, let me see here yeah so 10 hours i guess 10 hours of practicing that week alone just by myself yeah. And then uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight hours of rehearsing with with people. That's yeah. And then and then the gigs last what an hour each. Yeah, but then yeah. So but they like take more time than hours. that. Yeah. Yeah, two hours for the first one, and you got to be there ninety minutes early, sound check or whatever. Do a little rehearsal there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the pop gig, there's a two hour sound or an hour sound check in the morning. You got to be there an hour early later. A lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, that's the thing with music too, is like when you have the metrics, the numbers, it doesn't give a, a really just idea of what you're actually doing because yeah. um, like if I say I practice 10 hours that week, like that's 10 hours of like difficult intellectual mind using your brain as focus. hard as you can. Yeah. Focus, yeah. So if you're working an eight, like an eight hour shift at a job, you're not just like, losing 100% focus for all those eight hours. Not even close. No, that's true. So, a lot of people are on Facebook and farting around on their phones and taking yeah, a shit. Like, I'm so sick with that that if I'm going to, like, pee, then I turn it off. Wow. I come back so I know what I did. Yeah. And so why do you uh, keep track of those metrics so precisely? Well, because yeah, because I think that I realized when I went to music school, there's so many ideas about what you should do in the and they're all mostly based on anecdotes. So it's like John Coltrane practiced 47 hours a day or whatever, or Charlie Parker <laughs> did this. Yeah. You know, those are totally anecdotal and they're totally silly. <clears throat> and I realized once I started tracking, I had a trumpet player friend in Texas when we were performing together a lot. He would do this too and I got it from him. Like, it doesn't matter actually what anyone else does. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what you should do. Mm-hmm. It only matters what you actually do. Right. And then you can build on it. So if you if you think for some reason you should practice your guitar four hours a day because someone told you that, 
that maybe that's what you should do. Maybe that would be the, the best thing ever. But if you only practice 30 minutes a day or like two hours twice a week, yeah, it doesn't matter that you should practice four hours a day. So if you can track it and you realize, okay, so I practice two hours in two sessions over the course of um, uh, one week. So one, one hour on Monday, one hour on Thursday. And my goal is to practice four hours. How can I, how can I become more consistent with this? Because two hours isn't so good if it's split up. So why don't we just do like 30 minutes over more days? Mm-hmm. So over four days, you're playing 30 minutes and you have three days off. That's immediately going to be better, I think, because you're playing more days in a week. So you don't, yeah. So you're not sitting down and just sitting down for 10 hours and and, and practicing. You're doing like uh, really focused 20, 20 minutes to an hour or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like one day of practicing could look like a normal person's work week where you or work day where you you focus for a bit then you go fight around on facebook and then you focus for a bit and then you so it's more set up like that you're not just sitting there grinding for five hours because that's kind of no i mean I think that, that would time. be cool and i kind of have fantasy in my mind if i want to do that but i don't i don't really i can't really i haven't been able to in recent years i don't think you should i don't think it's a good idea i think it's honestly the only reason someone would do that is to say they did and feel proud about grinding and like kind of like the torture of it there is benefit in downtime where you actually do get better between sessions like you you can practice something for until it makes no sense you really do only have an hour or two of before you start losing the efficiency of the time yeah there's definitely something to to that um the first hour is like you know productive the second hour is only a quarter productive as the first hour and the third hour is only a, an eighth of the first hour, I would think. Like, There's a, the, the podcaster, neuroscientist, Andrew Huberman. Do you know him? Do you yes. Know yep. oh, yeah, I watch him all the time. Yeah. But he talks about like you get like 90-minute like focused, he calls them bouts of work. And that's basically yeah. like the, the maximum that most people can do. And you can only do maybe one to three of those in a day. And then you're yep. pretty much spent. And I, I definitely understand that. And with music, it's not just like intellectual brain work. It's also physical. I think that makes it mm-hmm. even more challenging. It's dexterity. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one, not enough to just know it intellectually. You have to actually physically be able to do it. Muscle memory. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. And, and I think that where you're at, like if you're a beginner, it's going to benefit you to practice like your major scales, something simple like that, over and over and over yeah. again. You can do that for eight hours, but it's not really intellectually stimulating but it will still benefit you but where i'm at now that would benefit me much much less the things that i need to do are harder you have to think and what do you so what what kind of things like um just different modal stuff or or really like complicated rhythms or well i don't think that it gets more any more complicated at least for me i'm trying to get simpler right so um like I'm trying to like if you play like a blues like a jazz blues, mm-hmm. you know I already know all the notes that I could possibly play. I know all the chords, like I know all the rhythms. Yeah. But why is that? Like I don't know. Like Lou Donaldson sounds amazing playing on the blues, and, and maybe I don't. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the question, and that's for me infinitely complicated and difficult. Yeah, I always said to people, even when I was at NSCC, um, I was the oldest guy in the class at one point after um what was it gary what was the guy the old guy was the taxi driver after he left i was the oldest um but i used to tell people this i used to tell my bandmates this too it's you know 
Charlie Parker or whoever, John Coltrane, none of those guys were trying to be anybody else. So when you're a gigging musician that is trying to emulate a lot of things, that's a lot. But like, if you just do what comes naturally, then it's your style and it's your essence. And it comes with a lot more ease than than if you're trying to... It's like even for tattooing or drawing, if you're trying to do every style... Mm it's harder to do every style than to just do your own style. And I guess I'm doing the same thing in tattooing that I was telling people when I was younger is that I'm just doing a style of tattooing. That's very predictably me. Right. And that's what people expect from me. So it makes it easier because I'm doing something that's already easy for me. It might be hard for someone else, but it just comes naturally to me. And so they get what I do naturally. So it's very easy. Uh, in the end, because it takes anxiety off of me and it takes anxiety off my clients mm-hmm. to uh, to do something so predictable, to pre- predictably me. But if somebody else was to do it, they'd probably have to work at it and it would be twice as hard for them. It's authentic. So it's, you need something authentic. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what, what you're talking about. Why does a certain person sound, sound better? And it's just because it's them and they're just being authentic and they're not trying to do anything but what they do and also we can't be judges of our own styles because i don't think what i'm doing is groundbreaking but people people will pay a lot of money to get me to tattoo them Mm. for what i find quite rudimentary stuff to me but because you live it yeah it's it's me it's so i can see all the flaws the same with you i'm I'm, you have a i'm sure you have you do have a very you know distinct ben sound and People probably look up to you and go, geez, I wish I sounded like Ben. But you're busy, and as I am, looking at all my flaws and going like, well, if I could improve here and here, this would be better. But like mm-hmm. other people are just going like, that's so Ben, it's awesome. Like, you know? Yeah, that's a good reminder. It, it's one of those things, I don't, think, I don't think we can ever quite truly appreciate our own style and flair. No, I don't. That's so refreshing to hear you talk like that, actually. Like, wow, that's, uh, I like that. Because I, I, I get caught up. Yeah. I get too caught up in the details. Like you said, and, and, and also I, I'm very much like, a, we kind of talked about the difference in our past musically, like you went down the artist path and I, I went down sort of the education and like the, and like being like a for hire guitar player. So and part of that has been over the course of my career is I've played a lot of different styles of music and I, and I like to do that, but there, you also pay a price for that. Like what you said, it, it's, it's hard to, yeah. to be anyone else, but, but yourself. So um, I think for me, it's good to hear what you just said because reminding myself that yeah I, I do have my own style and I, and I don't need to always be a chameleon and adapt to every in- environment that I'm in I can I can do my thing and I think as I get older I'm try- I'm sort of striving to accept that more I think it's awesome uh, I th- it's interesting because I'm always doing this I guess since since we were in school together I didn't believe myself to be an artist back then um, but I do believe I am an artist to this day because everything that I do end up doing, has very little to do with money. I always just do it because I'm compelled to, and I feel like it's important to do and express. Um, but so uh, back to tattooing and, and music, um, yeah. you know, I work with, with, with some artists who are all very talented. Um, but when you start off, a lot of times it is easy to go like, okay, well, what does this person want me to be? So they do a tattoo that's, I don't know, photorealistic. And then the next day they do a tattoo that's really traditional and old school. Right. And then the next day they do a, a tattoo that's something else. And 
to me, for Chris, just for me personally, I, I used to do that a little bit when I first started, but I find that it just creates anxiety on both ends because the clients go, well, what's he going to give me today? Cause yeah, like if I look at their portfolio, I'm like, well, I see three different things. Like I don't want the first one, but I do want the second one. So if I asked them to draw me an apple tattoo, what, what kind of apple am I going to get? So they're going like, I don't know what I'm going to get from this person. And then the tattoo artist is like, well, they're asking me to draw an apple, but like, they don't understand the language of art. So when they say a realistic apple, do they mean a realistic apple right. or do they mean something that looks just more illustrative? And, and so there's all these questions on both sides because nobody knows the answer Wow. ultimately. And then, cause it gets lost in translation. So there's all this anxiety on both sides. So what I just did is I really only showed people on Instagram, the work that was truly my style. If I did something else, I just didn't post it. And so now people come to me and it's kind of remarkable to be mm. honest. What they see on my Instagram is what they're going to get. It's just me. The way I do it, it's like, there's a formula almost. And so if they like what they see on Instagram, they're going to be happy with the tattoo they get from me. Cause there's no anxiety on my part as to what they're going to expect. And there's no anxiety on their part. And I have clients come to me all the time and be like, you know, normally I'm really nervous about coming in for a tattoo, and but I'm not at all today. And I'm like, why do you think that is? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, it's because you know you're going to get what you saw. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wow. you're going to get exactly what you saw. And it's no stress on my part and no stress on your part. And it, it actually amplifies me to keep doing this more mm -hmm. and better to another level because people are so trusting now because – I keep, pr I keep proving them that I'm going to do what I do and they don't have any worry that mm -hmm. I'm going to keep doing what I do. I don't know that it translates into music. I think that, I think that in music, what you're doing is you're, you're gigging and making money. I don't know if you could do just one style unless it was a really popular style that hired a lot. No, dude, this what you're saying is really hitting home right now for me. This is like, yeah. that makes a lot of sense, dude. Like, um, like for this this pop gig that I was talking about on the weekend, yeah. for that gig, they sent the recordings from the rehearsal from a previous gig, and like for those artists, the rehearsals are in like fancy recording studios, so you have like very clear audio. And I'm and I'm so I'm mm. comparing myself to the guitar player that was on the previous gig, this Colombian dude. I'm, okay, I got to be like that, you know? Right. But and when I'm, when I'm and like you said, it fills you with anxiety when you're, when you're trying to, do yeah. it, you know, like, okay, I, I can't do that. How do I do that? How do I get the sound? And I was doting myself and as I was building up to the gig. But the reality mm. was I got hired for the gig because they know that who I am. They weren't asking me right. to be him, you know, and it's hard right. to accept that for someone who is such a chameleon like I, I tend to be. But uh, I think it is hard. The more it that is hard. Yeah. You embrace just like, okay, this is just who I am. Like, and I'm going to try and learn and grow as, uh, all the time. But like when I show up to the gig and, and I could sense that I, I was anxious at some points and I they put, yeah. it comes off. It's presents yourself 100%. yeah that makes a lot of sense man and i think for musicians absolutely you can cultivate that and my musician friends that are the most successful do that okay they're not trying to do everything right like uh like chris richards yeah. is an example of that oh yeah like he just his country music lives in nashville and when you when you listen to chris chicken picking yeah he's gonna you know what he's gonna sound like Hell you yeah. already know what it's gonna be like it's funny because when he went to school with us he was such a metal like a shredder yeah, he was. That's right, man. Yeah, but that was the metalhead. But once he left that, he totally tripled, doubled down onto country. 
and there's yeah. like there's nothing else you'd ever expect to come out of him and yeah you're right yeah, yeah he played country music and got into that in nova scotia then eventually moved to nashville and just completely dominated like playing like nfl halftime shows completely crushing it there um and we have me and chris have a mutual friend from texas too is also the same thing like went to jazz school or whatever but just went all in on country and uh, i think that that's a uh, yeah so when we that's like a really way to, to make people trust you for sure and also to trust yourself if you it does make your really, life easier that's why i do it for my own personal sanity yeah. to reduce anxiety for me more than anything else but but as i've been seeing what the weird thing is is amplifying because it it reduces anxiety in my clients and then it makes them more free to literally come in and say do what you want to do because like i like what you, you do and it's 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 creating a amplification of in that i've never seen before in my life like it's a resonance wow. and a, like a like a next level like universe is resonating with me like thing like however froofy that sounds like it feels like magic like people believe in me in a way that that i didn't know if it would ever happen but it's crazy people trust to me to draw on them for the rest like their body like and big big stuff and the, the more i do it the more they're asking me to do things i already like doing because they see me doing those things and a year and a half ago people i used to have to like coax people to get bigger tattoos because i like things to be legible and easy to read from a distance and and everybody like can you make it smaller that would be like the, the can you make it smaller so i was so coached or programmed into hearing that that i think everybody wanted it smaller but now people come and they're like can you make it bigger and i'm like fuck wow. yeah i can and and like they're they're now co coaxing me to do what i already want to do and then i feel guilty sometimes because it's so f like cool and so much what in line with what i want to do that i almost feel like i've tricked them into to to, to accepting this thing that i wow. it's weird man and i and they love it. And so I'm loving it. I feel almost guilty for doing it and getting paid to do it. And they're like stoked and excited to to have it. And it's crazy. Ooh, wow. It's weird. But it's that's phenomenal, man. It's good. It's a good place to be. It's interesting. That's crazy, dude. That's so cool. Yeah, I saw one on your Instagram and it just like half this woman's body. It's just all <laughs> your art. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. And more and more, I just get people saying, like, do whatever you like. Wow. And, like... They trust you. Yeah, immensely. And it's it sounds... It sounds I used to think it was kind of annoying when I'd see other tattoo artists post, like, thank you for the trust, and I appreciate you, and all this stuff. But, like, I literally feel, like, overwhelming appreciation some days, because I'm like, this is amazing. I'm getting paid exceptionally well, and I'm doing something I enjoy doing, and and they're egging me on to do it. It's it's like win wow. win win. And 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 they're getting they're getting the best version of what I can do because they're allowing me to and coaxing me to do it. So not only am I getting to do it, but they're also getting the best tattoo that I think I can give, which is a gift in itself for me cuz that wasn't always the case before people would try and control me into what they felt comfortable with, which wasn't always to me, in my opinion, anyways, the greatest tattoo. But wow, I don't know. So basically, like, if if someone says, "Can you make it smaller? Can you make it smaller?" That's much harder to do your best work under those circumstances when they're like, "Like, I'm a like a blank blank slate here. Whatever you want." 
you make your best art then, I'm assuming. Absolutely. And what I'm finding now is that I've got so many people that are excited and open to to my work that I won't even work with people like that anymore. Like once that, like that's a red flag. Like I'm not, once I, well, if I see that they have too many stipulations or I can see that they're trying to control the situation too much in the emails beforehand, I just go, no, I'm not, you know, taking on projects like that right now. Um, that's great. Wow. I pretty much just say like, to be honest, I kind of try to scare people off. Um, so I, I basically right. tell them, like, hopefully you like what you see on my Instagram. If you don't, like, or if you do, that that's great. You'll probably enjoy whatever I come up with. You're not going to see a drawing until the day of your tattoo um, appointment. And and then I require a deposit to, to book in. And so if they're at all concerned, they usually ghost at that point. So they don't mm-hmm. pay. They don't want to pay a deposit for the situation they feel uncomfortable with. So it kind of pushes them to make one decision or other, but most people are just like, no problem. Sounds awesome. And I'm like, yeah, amazing. Wow. It's like you moved, you moved from like journeyman to artist. It, yeah, it is. And it's still amplifying the artist situation. Like I had a friend, I just worked on his tattoo today and he literally said, I don't know, just do whatever you want. I don't, doesn't matter. Like, wow. don't, don't even tell me what it is. Like, and so I, I designed something out for him with a plan and it wasn't even really fully drawn. I just had a more of a concept and cause mm-hmm. it's actually better for me now if I just do concepts and I don't become so rigid because once I fit it on their body, it becomes apparent that sometimes like things need to be moved. So, um, I did a, some roses and a giant, uh, realistic lion face on him crazy where his body on his uh forearm i think i can send you the video here on uh what do you call it facebook i'm all uh i'm so like excited about this stuff and talking about it that i'm like out of breath <laughs> like i haven't been breathing yes. <laughs> i love hearing about it, dude i'm thinking about getting a tattoo soon actually are you that's awesome yeah, i never got one before i think now is the time of my life where i should get one Fuck what yeah. Bigger is better. Just letting you know. Yeah. Being on the forehead, just like no. my name on the forehead, don't, so don't I don't do forget. That. There you go. Well, a buddy of mine came to Taipei from, from Montreal, and he got a tattoo of, of soup dumplings on his arm. Like three dumplings. <laughs> it but he loves it. That's hilarious. Sorry, it's just sent wow. out. I'm looking at it now. The roses, and there's the lion. On the on the on the palm side, wow! It's so realistic, dude. That's incredible. Yeah, I decided since he's a friend, I decided um, I would I would go into realism, which isn't something I typically I don't typically it's do. Realism. Realistic, yeah. Pardon That's me. Unbelievable, dude. Thank it's you. Unbelievably realistic. I, wow. It's uh, taken two. This is today was our second session, so this was up almost twelve hours of tattooing. Twelve hours tattooing. How much does that cost for 12 hours? Uh, my day rate is, I, usually, I I consider a day, I'm getting really artsy these days. So I just kind of almost just book sessions without time. I don't like to book per hour. Um, so a day for rate day. is two, uh, it's four to six hours. So it's a big window of, of, of options and it's a grand. Yeah. Wow. That's great. It's roughly 200 an hour is what I'm trying, like, like trying to, to go for. Probably with tattoos, you don't want to get the cheapest one, right? No, you don't want to do that. That's for sure. 
technically paying more doesn't guarantee a good result. You really have to just pick someone that you you trust by by looking at their work and going like, I like those outcomes. That's what I want. I'm going to hire that person because I like that outcome. So there's this trend around here. People are getting like just like a straight line, like a like a. You ever see that? Yeah, I've seen that. It's, yeah. it's a little problematic because if you grow or as you age, it will gets kind of slinky and slanted straight lines are not ideal yeah. on human beings squiggly lines yeah it could like if you if you grew if you if you got like muscly it might it might then be a wavy line um right. if you as you get old it might something might sag and that line might droop how do you think this one will age on your body here the line oh i don't think there'll be any that that parts of that body part of the body doesn't tend to doesn't change much. No, forearms are pretty, pretty, pretty. The stable. roses look sick, man. That looks, that looks fucking sick. The roses are like my cliche, typical style, and the the yeah. the lion is is something new that I don't do realism typically, and I almost hesitate to post it because I don't necessarily want realism work. But everyone coming on, but I, uh, I probably I will post it, but I'll, I'll I might take the odd realism thing, but it's so much more time consuming. It's insane because i yeah two two full sessions on that small like i usually do those large side booty paces and that's usually two full sessions and that's like so much more space um yeah but i and i think we're gonna do one more sitting with him too just to to tidy up the line even more once it's healed to see how everything settles but for like really amazing tattoos that's what's important is time just like music you know you can spend a lot of time getting to where you need to be yeah i mean i couldn't imagine it's like i would be it takes some sort of bravery i would assume to like draw on someone else's body for life it does it does <laughs> when i first started mm-hmm. i was i was kind of a wreck nervous nervous wise a lot of anxiety yeah, you can't show that, a lot of right? anxiety and it's kind of like um it's kind of like standing on stage and 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 playing in front of people and having to nail it it's it's, right. it's kind of like that and you also have to like stay i learned a lot from music so many things and one of them is like showmanship and 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 yeah. leading leading a room or whatever so like in tattooing it's important that you you lead your clients and you don't the the performance has to be good enough that they're not worried either you know like yeah if you're a ball of wow. nerves and then they become a ball of nerves, it's only going to amplify everything and it's just going to turn into a bad situation. So you have to stay calm as you would on stage, even though you aren't calm and you know, you're like, oh, I'm fucking this up. I'm fucking this up. But the funny thing is about tattoos is often the clients can't see the things that you as a professional musician or tattoo artist can, can see or hear. Do you, do you still, you must still mess up on stage. Like, quote unquote every day yeah. every single time all the time it's, it's just part of the life yeah there's no escaping it yeah but your point there i don't think about this is interesting talking to you man because you keep saying these things that are like wow i know that's true but i don't think about that enough i like it. like you just said the client doesn't know what's in your brain and what you imagine could be on their body no they only know what they see and they might absolutely probably or they will absolutely love it yep but same with music, like same. they don't know all the recordings I've listened to, all the shit I've practiced, all the stuff I've heard. They have no clue. They're just trying to have a good evening on, on a Friday night. Absolutely. And and they yeah, don't that, they don't hear that note that you didn't like. 
at all. And they don't know no. it's a bad note to not like, just as they don't know that some line that I don't like isn't the line's not good enough in my books. But man, as long as they're happy at the end of the tattoo and they look in the mirror and often they say things like that my favorite line is Oh, it's yeah. better than I even expected. That's my favorite one. It's mm. like the most honest thing you can say. Because nobody would say that if they were lying. But yeah, right. if if they look into it, yeah. they go, oh, that's so nice. Like, that's a question mark. I can't really fully mm. gauge that one. But if they say it looks better than they expected it to look, then I'm like, I win. This is good. They're happy. Yeah. Even though... And then I, I look at the... Then I look at the picture after they leave and I'm like, oh, fuck, I hate it. <laughs> Damn it. Why did I do this this way? And, and, and if only I'd done this. But they're happy yeah. and that's all that matters. Just as the same as all that matters is the people in the audience have a good night and they that's go cool. home stoked. And they're certainly not thinking like, I thought this was going to suck. And it turns out it was a little bit better when it was a tattoo. Right? <laughs> they're they're hoping it's going to be amazing. Right. So if they say it's better, wow. That's the best compliment I can ever hope for. So. Anything else I'm skeptical of? I've been around many, many um, really uh, like critical musicians. Like mm. so many, they're just so dark and they're so critical. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of picked up from that is sometimes it gets to the point where it's disrespectful to the audience. Hundred percent. Like who gives a shit if you think it sucks? Yeah. You know what about them? Absolutely. Their, and honestly, their opinion matters more. I think a non-musician's opinion of what my playing is. Is more valuable to me than somebody who went to fucking New York and went to Manhattan school music or some shit. Yeah, that's a jazz music yeah. thing, isn't it? Oh, really? Snooty is, yeah. jazz people with their opinions about oh. like heady music. Oh, it drives me crazy. I, I absolutely hate that. Because yeah, you got to think about people don't have your. Not everyone has your ears or your brain. They're they're just trying to have a good night, have an experience, and I think that that's what we can offer as musicians. Hundred percent. Make their night a little bit more interesting and show them it's sort of a part of the world they don't they don't get to see regularly. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember one time um, Colin's band was up on stage and uh, we were at NSCC and it was Alice Stops Time and um, like a surf rock band and they were killing. Like, they were having a great time. They always had a good time. And my band's waiting, and um, it was awesome. It was we loved it. And so I went and told them, like, "Hey guys, that was awesome." And they're like, "No, it wasn't. We missed the bridge. We like did this. We did that." And I was like, "Look, guys, I'm in music school. Not that it was saying much, you know, but I'm in music school, and I didn't hear anything wrong. I was like, it was awesome. Yeah. So I understand that you didn't go the way you hoped, but like from my eyes, it was fucking great. And they're like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yes." And so I learned from that to. For, for my own self to go, okay, what happens on stage? They don't know what the, they, most people, even musicians can't pick out some of the issues unless it's totally whacked. Like most yeah. of the time as a, as a musician, all I can do is go, that sounded a little weird. I wonder if that was intentional. Like, yeah, right. Was right. that a mistake? You can go like, was that a mistake? Unless it's like real cliche pop. And then you're like, nobody would put that note in there, but no, totally, totally, man. It's, it gets to be like so self-absorbed at that point. If you're like coming off stage, I fucking suck, and everyone does it, especially like in the jazz world. And it's just like I'm getting getting so tired of that. It's kind of like they, some of it's uh, is it just humbling? Like they're trying to like not be braggarts. They're just trying to like yeah. Who, it gets to be so poor that they're more. not brag is brag. So like, hey, man, it sounds great. No, man, I suck, man. It's all you. Bro. That's it's annoying. You. That's man. yeah. So going back to you know. Being in the in the uh, tattoo parlor, and you got to lead them, and you know you got to 
put on the act no matter what like yep. with music and especially with jazz where it's you're kind of like walking a tightrope all the time and i mentioned a gig where we're playing the complicated music and it's very improvisational mm-hmm. like things go along with that all the time but but having a poker face and just being able to be cool yeah. finding your way out of it that's that's the trick because it's always going to happen and i learned this from the heavyweight cats i used to hang around with in texas where you'd ask them so what do you do when you're playing this complicated music and something goes wrong and he's like well we just find someone that's doing something and latch on with that it doesn't matter if i think i'm right or if you think you're right it matters right. that we get together as soon as possible and be cool about it and everyone's cool at the end no one says anything and it's all good that's crazy it's sure. crazy to me that most people i think think that it's like tv and like musicians look at each other and they say like okay and they just like t- whisper for five seconds and then they bang out this this like original tune together yeah and like that is the yeah. case at a jam with a blues jam when everybody knows the songs but like you can't just go to your pop artist gal and and her on stage say say anything within like you can't just say two sentences and expect it to work out 100 percent unless it's the most cliche you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge bridge you know but then how does it go out how does it go out what's the outro like is do we do we vamp on the last whatever like is it bridge out like who knows but like it's the illusion of tv is that and and the odd jam where it does sometimes look like musicians are magic and they just look at each other and they play this crazy shit that they've never played together before. But most of the time, it's just hard work and grinding. That's right. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's like the old nursing home guys. Gee, boys. And they start strumming their acoustics in the G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a good point. I think that's where a lot of jazz musicians struggle because we want to improvise and be, be loose and spontaneous. But when we go into any other musical environment, literally any, even the blues jam, Yeah, you know, it's going to be bad because you can't improvise your way out of that shit. You have to actually know what is going on. And, that, and it doesn't also doesn't account for style. Right. Um, but when you, when you do see musicians that they really like, you know, oh, they just got together and they play, like they're relying on conventions. Yeah. So you go to a jazz jam session it only works because there's conventions. There's there are only a few certain intros, certain kind of tunes. Everyone knows a song, you know, how you deal with the solos. Maybe there's trading and there's an outro. Yeah. It's, it's all conventions. I need to explain to people all the time. And they're like, how do you do that? It's just conventions. What do you, it sounds like conventions would be like, you know, a, a gathering of people maybe, but you mean like standards or like, uh, no, like, um, like conventions, like, um, like it's conventional to do such and such. Okay. Thing. Yeah. Right. I was picturing like a tattoo convention or uh, something like that. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> but um, or a music convention. But you mean, yeah. And, and when I said standards, that makes sense to some people, but you would think jazz standards, which is yeah a separate thing. Yeah, so jazz standards, that's like a body of songs that jazz musicians play. And there's like a thousand songs. So silly. Go to any city in the world. It's so silly that you guys call them standards. They're just covers. Uh, well i don't know man. I, th- I think there's more there's more room for interpretation there is the you're right but it's a cover improvised it's not a cover i, I disagree yeah yeah because the it's girl not a cover it covers that you're playing bruno mars like bruno mars on the record but if i play if i play like i don't know a tune like all the things you are what am i covering well, who like, words, if I play, who originally you know, played it? I guess. Shining Hour. You know, what am I covering? Am I covering um, which 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 version from the movie The Outer The Outer Limits? Am we covering? 
neither because we're covering it there's a tradition a history so mm-hmm. it's like you're playing out such and such a musician heard that song played it and they it's you're or not even covering you're more like you're commenting on it yeah you're making a statement okay not just the song but also the tradition and the history that went along with it up to that point but i mean there's people who do covers of like fish and blues or something taj mahal like that was not by taj mahal that was by somebody else so taj mahal did a cover and then if i was to do it i'd call it a cover but it wouldn't sound like taj mahal it would sound like me and i might play it differently but is it a standard because it's been around so long or like if if i did a, uh, if i did a i don't know mother mother or some some popular current band if i did a version of their song i'd put my own spin on it and it wouldn't sound anything like that song except for the lyrics but that's a cover definitely. yeah because because this is like it's, we, the word standard means it's standard every everybody knows it everybody should know it right in, in a certain community that's, so it's like yeah how yeah. many standards that's, do you think are in your repertoire oh, i know the exact number oh um i shouldn't give this give this away oh is it low here's the thing though standards like um, nobody wins the standard game, okay? Nobody wins. No. It's a losing game. Everyone loses. So, um, but you want to know as many as you can. But it's also, I've learned, as I, people say, it gets easier as you get more into it. And I guess that's true. But um, but then you also learn that what it's, like, there's different levels to learning a song, mm. learning a tune. Yeah. So it gets harder in that way. I get you. So on my list right now, if I look at it, of standard tunes, just like, just like standards, not including blues or other kinds of things. Just jazz standards. Have, uh, yeah, like okay. tunes I can call in a gig tomorrow and be fine. 75. That's pretty good. That's a lot. And then my blues repertoire, just blues tunes. Yeah. 56. That's a lot. Yeah, bebop. Bebop heads. I, should, I only have seven on here right now. And I got like 13 kind of groove tunes. And uh, yeah. And there's probably like a whole lot more that you know but don't know inside and out. Oh, totally, man. Oh, or I'd forgotten. Yeah. Like, if I knew all the songs that I ever learned and forgot, I would know so many tunes. But just, like, maintaining a tune over time is really hard. And now, that's another thing that seems like something I didn't understand when I was early into music. And and you're telling me this so many years still in. And there's this illusion that, yeah, that, like, you just know everything. And you you never forget it. and, And, like... People like make fun of pop stars who forget their own lyrics and stuff, and it's like that fucking shit happens, man. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta shake yeah. the rust off. You can't just play once. Like you can't have a repertoire of songs and remember them from the rest of your life unless you rehearse them. They'll they're like Regularly. they're like ghost memories, and you can revitalize it a lot faster once you've mastered sure, it once yeah. and forgotten it. But it's not no. it's not there. It's but yeah, it's like it's like you look at Tragically Hip, you know, their final tour. They get those big monitors on the stage, the lyrics going by. They've been doing that for like how many years? Thirty years, forty right. years. Yeah, and, and they still, still need help. Those lyrics. There. No, totally, man. My my perception of memory really changed, especially with studying Chinese. Like I learned, like in music world, we're totally delusional about what our memories are capable of. There's so many things that we're studying in school. If you want to learn all these standards, you should know 500 jazz standards. It's like, all right, bud. Like I have a, How a fuck you. There's <laughs> this guy in Taiwan. He's really well connected, older guy. Been in Taiwan for like 30 years, and he got a gig, and he's running a band now. And I'm kind of helping him or whatever. He's like, I want to learn 200 songs, you know, by the end of the year, you know, by Chinese New Year. It's like six months. It's like, bro, I've been doing this for 16 years. 
and I only have 75 tunes on my list. So you're totally insanely delusional if you think that that's going to happen. Maybe, maybe some, maybe some people can, but I think it's silly to. to... No, what it is for someone like that is he doesn't understand what it actually takes to learn a song, so he can do like a, a basic level of learning a tune for that many songs. Sure. Right. But but actually doing a song how I know them when I'm on the gig and I'm playing because I'm not reading music or anything like that. I'm playing standards. Right. That's a whole other level. Right. So the standard of what you think a song, knowing a song inside and out is, is vastly different compared to what he has as a standard yeah. of what I'm using okay. standard in a wrong way right now because it's confusing because it means two things in my head, which is, which is jazz standard, <laughs> but then also just uh, the convention, I guess, or yeah, yeah. the uh, yeah, like for me, it's like you, you got to know the chords, obviously, from memory. You got to know the melody from memory, and you, ideally, you know the lyrics from memory. So when you're playing, the lyrics are are in your head, you right. know, and maybe maybe you do it in a couple keys, uh, and you have an idea of like what the common chord changes are. So for any tune, like you might have like the chord changes that are in in the real book, yeah. But that's not really that's just one example of those possible chord changes, right? And and usually it's based on like someone's reharmonization. So if you go back and you listen to some older versions, you find that it's actually those are just not all those chords are important or it's a little, usually a little different. Right. So you have some idea of that. So when you're on the bandstand, you can go multiple directions with it. Interesting. And, uh, and like, and you have it for memory and you're not going to forget it. And you can, you can solo for five minutes and, <laughs> and not get lost or whatever. That's kind of my, my standard for, for me having enough ideas and also some ideas of what people played on it in the past. Um, it brings me back to remember when I played bass and I feel like you can tell me what you think, but I used to feel like playing bass was so much more nerve wracking than probably playing lead guitar because when you're the root note, fuck, it fucks everything up when you're wrong. Like it's awful. But if you're way up there, you can hit a nine, like a ninth chord or like you can hit a weird note and it can almost work, but nothing works. I can ruin the, I can ruin the whole band with my wrong note. Yeah. Uh, so right. much pressure and you have so much more responsibility as a bass player and you got to play every quarter note so if the song is seven minutes long you got to play every single quarter note that's a that's a lot of work and whereas i can play a solo then i can take a break and go get a beer or something yeah so i remember watching lead fun. guitar players and they'd be like they'd be like fucking with their pedals and then they, they play some no, stuff and then they go adjust their amp and i'm like i can't stop for anything. Yeah. <laughs> like... no. Oh, yeah, dude. When I was in Texas, man, I used to play with a trio. We used to play top 40 covers, but the bass and drummer were very, very good. And the ba- if, I, if I adjusted my pedals during a song, the bass player would get pissed because he can't stop. He's like, bro, wait till the end of the song, dude. Like, get it together. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I did. But, I, I always envied lead guitarists because I got to hang out on stage for a bit. Yeah, like, yeah. Way less responsibility. 100%. Way less responsibility. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny, man. Like, I have some kind of students here, people that, that kind of, like, come to me for advice in, in Taiwan. And there's some bass players that I play with. And, like, they'll, like, make a big face. They'll be playing a bass. And I'm like, oh, they play a wrong note. I'm like, or they'll say a noise. Mm-hmm. Or they'll ask me at the end of the set, is everything okay? Am I playing okay? Like, how do I sound? It's like, bro, you got to shut the fuck up. Because we are relying on you. You know, it it's, goes back to what we talked about earlier about leading the room and yeah. people trusting us. We're relying on you, so we need to trust you. So you, if you have a problem, just shut the fuck up about it and play the bass. Yeah. And don't ask me any sound. We can talk about it tomorrow Not at if you the want gig. some advice. Yeah. We got to be cool right now. You don't make want, it through this you don't want your fellow tattoo artist coming up to you while you're tattooing on a client and say, did you want that line to be like that? 
Oh, can God. you imagine? Yeah. Or like, or if you were like, <gasps> you make a line, you go, <gasps> yeah. oh, oh, that one's not good. Oh, 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 oh don't oh look at that God, one. Dude. Don't look at that one. Can you imagine? Like, dude. yeah. No, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, I remember um, that I I knew all, I kind of knew all this like when we were in music school, and um, I remember doing my. I, I wasn't that great. It was okay, but I um, I remember doing like our um. Our, uh, what do they call them when you recitals and we're doing our recitals. And I was, I was just going on performance. So I would just jump around and like really like dance while playing and, and stuff. And I remember like it would fool people and they wouldn't hear like all the wrong notes. Uh, and then, <laughs> uh, I won't say any names. Some other people would go up and they would, they would, they would make, then they were like, you know, one of the virtuoso like kids and they'd go up and they hadn't prepared, of course, but they'd make a sound every time they'd make a mistake. And it was like, you're alerting the whole group of us that you've made a mistake. And it's like, it ruins the sound in the performance. And it's like, it's incredible how many people do that. Like you're telling me you've got professional gigs where, where bass players are making faces yeah, and, and you're going like you're telling the whole room because that's the only thing I that's the only way I can confirm a mistake uh, if I hear something weird as an audience member it's like I look on stage and, and they're looking at each other confused and making faces then you go oh that's not right I know now but if everybody yeah. keeps a deadpan face you're like I'm not sure what's going on Good. yep yeah dude it's funny man it's really funny like I had I was teaching like a little course at my house just uh some 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 of my friends that are they're they're really good musicians of their own thing but they want to learn more about jazz we were doing like group lessons at a house i just was had some time so i was like volunteering to do it nice sort of give back and um one of the bass players that would come over like i'd given them like little homework assignments you know for the for the coming week and i said your assignment is to do a poker face at 200 bpm nice. <laughs> play at 200 and just like <laughs> and just don't make a fucking face i love it <laughs> that's easy to hear. did it did it work but, uh, uh, I don't know. I, kinda, <laughs> I, I didn't, didn't follow up with him on that. Uh, Probably not, but whatever. Hopefully, hopefully, hoping the best. Poker face Larry. does it all. Yeah. And for instance, this gig we did last night, like I was playing, it was kind of a unique setting. It's a small room and there's no drummer. So I hired an organ player and a conga player. So there's no drums, but congas and organ, trumpet, guitar. Yep. And we've been playing this music all month, doing a bunch of gigs on my, my soul jazz band music. And, uh, the, the, the conga player is kind of uh, not that experienced. The organ player, he's really working hard, a master's student at the university, but he's not, like, very experienced. So kind of throw those guys into the fire. Yeah. <laughs> in one tune, we're playing the melody. I think the melody out. And those guys both just stopped. So <laughs> me and the trumpet player are just going to keep playing, you know. And what do we do? We both just improvise, you know, a 16-bar thing. Yeah. And then back in, play the melody again and finish and get out. But we're all just, like, boom, poker face. And this is in a kind of room where the audience is, like, three feet from you there's no like yeah yeah you got no <laughs> that's awesome yeah. and they did that on the same thing on one other tune too but like there's no we gotta we gotta go forward boys we gotta get out of this thing there's something to be said about a good like ending ending seemingly intentional me and andrew used to awesome. that was the best thing we yeah. could do andrew and i could look at each other and fake an ending and if we didn't we'd continue like if he stopped before i stopped He'd just make sure he came in for the last one. I'd signal the last hit, and he'd hit with that one, so it all looked intentional, or vice versa, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally understand. But, like, uh, 
yeah, we were like a, we, do you play with the same people all the time? So you don't have that, like that advantage where you guys are linked. Like you guys have had hundreds of hours playing together. You know, each other inside and out. That's not a thing. No. Yeah. With the big band, it's definitely like that, but okay. it's all written out. Right. You just got to play with the Yeah. But uh, as far as the small group stuff, no, I don't. I'm trying to change that. Cause kind of in Taiwan, I realized it's kind of like people will do like a, a book, a gig one month and, and they'll do like a project and a concept, maybe a rehearsal or two play this thing and then it's over and then it's okay next month different people different concept i'm really trying to not do that i want to get like one on one path and so this month where we did eight shows the eighth one will be on next friday that's like a good run for me and the trumpet player but nice. the supporting cast kind of was evolving subtly behind us and that's kind of always what it's going to be like for jazz but the more that i can do that the more i can get that connection like you talked about right like dave, dave, dave burton and jeff goodspeed Dave Burton, Jamie Gaddy. Yeah, linked. Uh, yeah. They know what they're doing. Dude, they're doing a. a they, he has another gig in Halifax now. Lion's Head. I yeah. see on Facebook. Yeah, I haven't been yet. I've been so, meaning to go to check it out. I, uh, I, would love to I do like to go once in a while and check check out what they're up to. Yeah, well, man, honestly, like I always get nostalgic when I think about Halifax scene, but at the same time, I'm also glad that I'm, I'm not there because I've been able to keep playing. I think that if I would have stayed, it would have been much harder to keep playing. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you're doing you're doing it. I think I think that you're you're only increasing your your resume and your 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 legend, I'd say, by doing stuff like this. Like having left Texas, I think if you go back, you know, you'll you'll have gained more more um resonance or, or legitimacy whatever whatever that is. Yeah, I think so. Um I think it's a smart thing to do. And do you think that there's an advantage to being a white guy playing in, in Taiwan? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely or, or pros there, and cons. Yeah. No, no, there's definitely benefits. There's definitely, like, there's definitely racism. There's, you, you stand out. in a mono-ethnic culture. This is a mono-ethnic culture. There's only one race. Right. 97% Han Chinese. Right. Everyone's the same. But, um, so there is an advantage of the, to being the Y-Goran. Like, for instance, I got paid a bunch of money the other day to record, like, a 30-second ad for a TikTok video for some company. Okay. So it's like... You get those little gigs and things, and people are can be really nice to you. Um, and uh, yeah, and I definitely get some gigs just because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white guy for sure. But it's also harder to connect with the local people sometimes. Like I'm kind of always an outsider, right? As, as well, and that kind of hurts. Yeah, um, at times. So, pros and cons. Yeah, I could see that. I feel like you'd stand out though, or maybe you just look at like definitely. every other white guy. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. There's more foreigners around now, but when I moved here, there was very few because the pandemic, we couldn't come into Taiwan. Right. So there was just like no foreigners. Okay. Sometimes I would go into the, into the subway station and I would sit down. People would sort of like move away from me. Ah, uh, because you had COVID or yeah. something. <laughs> They're like, no, no just because it's like the one white guy. And they're just kind of like, uh, I'm just going to be away from this guy. And you're pretty tall. It's just, it's just, you're pretty tall as well. Yeah, I'm not yet tall. I'm 6'2. You're always the tallest guy in the room now. Yeah, pretty much, man. Yeah. And it's like everything is very like the ceilings are quite a bit lower. So the ceiling, if you went to the bathroom, it's like I got to duck my head to get into the bathroom. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Definitely hit my head a lot of times since moving here. Amazing. Well, I think that's uh, that's about uh, an hour and a half. And uh, it was oh. a great conversation. Uh, if people want to like uh, check you out or see what you're up to, where would they find you? I think Ben Holt Jazz. Ben Holt Jazz. On Instagram. Ben Holt Jazz at what? Just on Instagram oh. or at Ben Holt Jazz. Okay, Ben Holt Jazz Instagram. 
Well, thanks, okay. Ben. Thanks, Chad. We'll have thanks to have you again me, someday. It was entertaining. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, come visit, man. Now Taiwan's open its borders. Come, come visit for a vacation. Oh, maybe. I'll have to think about that. Come at it.